you live at the best time ever where everything is on your keyboard. You know, it's in the palm of your hands. So there's really no excuse. Anything you want to learn, write a book, make a podcast, be a doctor, freaking learn how to be an actor, make a website, start an app. Like these are freaking 20 hours of YouTube tutorials away from your dreams. What's up boys and girls? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. I am Arman Kendri and it is my job to simplify and demystify the habits, strategies, tactics, routines of the overachievers. And today I have Sanjay Manaktala with me. And he is one of the top stand-up comedians in India. It's insane how many viral videos this guy has. And his story is so awesome. He moved from the US to India to actually work for a tech company. And in India, he finally made the move to his full-time passion, which was comedy. So seriously, this conversation is for anybody who is looking to make their side hustle or their passion their main hustle. It's really incredible how Sanjay systematically planned his transition from full-time IT to comedy. So you're gonna take away so many tips from what he has done already. So I think you're going to absolutely love this action-packed podcast with Sanjay Manaktala. Sit back, relax, and without further ado, here's our interview. Hey, Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Amazing. And you know, I want to start here and, and kind of dive right into it. And I think the story will come along as well. But I want to ask you about your, your first open mic experience or stand-up experience. How did that happen and how did it go? Uh, in California or in India? Which one do you want to know about? Wh- whichever was the first. Okay, the very first one was uh, not too far from here at a pizzeria. I grew up in Orange County. I'm in LA right now. And I wanted to do stand-up comedy, but make sure nobody within 100 miles of where I live knows about it because it's embarrassing, right? If I'm bad, and sure enough, I was terrible. And I performed in a pizzeria. The guy gave me five minutes. There were seven people there. I performed for three. Uh, my voice, it's like everything you would imagine. I was like, oh, hi guys. Like, you know, like, I'm like, I think I put like five new pimples on my face during the performance. And, uh, you know, typical garbage. I was like, I'm an Indian. I'm going to fix your computer. <laughs> like, whatever. It was like a bunch of like skater white kids. You know, not a bunch, but they were the majority of the seven. So I was, I was like, you know, these are the kids that would like bully me in school or whatever. And I uh, just made a few jokes and yeah, got, tried nine jokes. One of them worked and I left feeling like I accomplished something. That was that. So. Wow. Do you remember the joke? The joke was, yeah, I said, I told these white kids because, you know, I was watching the other comics go up and I realized I had to do something about the audience. So, uh, you know, the first joke I did, which I actually still did in my set in India, was it was so hacky now um we're like you know my bosses would ask me to like fix the the computer stuff even though i was in marketing and it was weird because i never asked the mexican guy in human resources to cut the grass <laughs> like, that, was, 
that was the joke and it was so such a hack joke and then the other joke was that i told the white kids they looked like the kids who used to beat me up in high school but now teach me crossfit like <laughs> crossfit is where you go to plateau in life right <laughs> so, yeah Those dude that's first jokes yeah that's awesome how many years ago was that oh my god over 10 probably exactly 10 years ago maybe no that was late 2009 and then i never did comedy for like the next one i mean not never i i waited a year to do it again um you know you can akin comedy like if you don't do well your first time it's like a bad sexual experience i guess you could say where <laughs> Like imagine if you're 14 and you get your first kiss and the girl tells you it was bad. You know? like <laughs> everyone's first kiss is bad, but to hear that you're going to be scarred for a long time, right? So um, luckily it was just a year. And then uh, my job gave me an opportunity to come to India in 2010. And I had started to do comedy again a few months before that. So everything kind of lined up perfectly. It's so crazy. You know, if you probably think back to other experiences 10 years ago, you don't remember it, but it's funny that you can remember the exact two jokes that killed it for you on your first time performing. That That's awesome. Why why stand up? Like why get into the comedy scene? Um, why stand up? Well, you know, it's weird. Like I always tell people, you don't know, you may not know what you want to do, but you probably know what you don't want to do. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of people, I'm sure who maybe listen to your podcast or podcasts in general is like, you know, guys, guys, especially at least my experience, cause I am a guy. <laughs> so is, you know, you're 25, they see culture, you get the job, you kind of do all the things you need to do on paper, but you're kind of longing for more and social media and the internet tells you other things. Right. Um, and shows you how glamorous everyone else's life is. And I discovered like, I never really felt like I had a passion for anything. I was just doing engineering to make money. And I, even now, if I took a job working at like YouTube or trying to do something in corporate, I would still be, if I'm honest, I'm doing it for cash, right? Um, but the very first time, 2004, that Russell Peters had like sent a clip out where he got famous with that orange backdrop in the back. Yep, yep. That was not only was that like hilarious and awesome or whatever, it was like, whoa, brown people can do other things. Like that was the kind of the thought that I had. And you probably know when something is your passion, because when that video came out, me and all the guys in my dorm room or whatever, we were all watching. We laughed. We had a good time. We sent it to all our friends. But I probably watched it 10 more times, you know, whereas they were all done on the first watch. But I was like, come on, you know, we're like, you know, whatever, smoking or drinking or whatever, you know, as you're 21, no one has a girlfriend really, whatever the heck. And so um, they were like, why do you want to keep watching it? And I was like, oh, crap, I'm probably obsessed with stand-up comedy. And so that was my thing. And then when I started working, I decided I really want to give this a shot because in the evenings, I'm not doing anything after my job. I may as well go to these bars and try to do something aside from just having beer, you know? Shout out to Russell. I dude, I remember that so much. And I think the jokes from that still stay like, you know, I'm going to give you a slap or something like that. Like those jokes are like somebody, so prominent. Somebody going to get a hurt real bad. Yes, dude. That was yeah. it. Yeah. He, he absolutely, even all over the world. Cause in Bangkok, it was the same thing. It was absolutely going everywhere. So when you were, when you're starting your standup experience, you've got that realization 
how do you, and you, you can kind of maybe parallel this to someone who's looking to get into the scene now, how do you go about finding what open mics or shows that you can get on? How do you start? Um, for somebody now, I mean, there's so many resources online. The, you know, if you just Google open mic stand-up comedy, Bangalore, or open mic stand-up comedy, Mumbai, or Chennai, or, or whatever it is, and you see those listings, I mean, there's no, like, one-stop shop. Um, you know, in California, it's still around, but it was called the Comedy Bureau, where, you know, they would maintain every coffee shop, every bar, every pub, every club that was doing comedy. Um, when I started, there was nothing, but we just went to bars. We literally, I literally went to a bar, knocked on the door. I spoke to the manager who's like, you know, hello, sir, you know, like, what is this comedy? And I was like, no, I want to do stand-up comedy in your restaurant. And he was like, we don't have money. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I was, I'll, I was like, we don't need money. Just let me try. And, and luckily, you know, I would, there would be four or five people in the restaurant. And, and here's something about, I know this is not exactly what you asked me, but I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent for now anyways. Like when you, like when you have an accent in India, either people are going to make fun of you or whatever, but they're going to listen for a few minutes. Like they're going to, they're going to give you that initial one or two minutes to see. And luckily I was, I like to think charming or whatever to get their attention that then that restaurant owner was like, okay, you can do this every Tuesday if you want, you know? Um, but usually you have to go online and just Google open mic comedy plus your city name or your state name. Um, and if you don't find it on Google, you got to search on Facebook. And it's, it's as simple as finding an old comedy poster from like two years ago. Let's say you're in Hyderabad or let's say you're in like a smaller city, like, uh, What's like a small random Indian city that's not a tier one city? What would you say? Mm. Let's get in trouble here. Yeah. Yeah, dude, my geography is so shit. Okay, okay let's say you're in Agra. Okay, let's say mm -hmm. you're near the Taj Mahal in Agra because mm -hmm. there's comedy in Delhi now. There's, but I'm sure there's some expat working in Agra, for example, right? Or, or Indian person, whoever. Then you would basically just Google Agra comedy, find some old comedy flyer for maybe when I was there like a year ago or, or two years ago. And just see the names on that poster and message them on Facebook, dude. I mean, you have to be resourceful uh, if there's no foundation. If there is a foundation, open my comedy in your city, find the names, add them on Facebook, follow them on Instagram, and just start, you know, seeing who answers and go from there. In in your first stand-up show, like at the pizzeria, you said, you know, it was it was bad and maybe it discouraged you a little bit. What would you say say most people are gonna have bad first open mic experiences like what would you say to someone who just did it they went in they completely bombed in front of like three people or 20 people or 100 people how do you reflect on that now let's say if you had a bad show now and get back onto it the next day or the next week to keep going well if you had a bad show and you feel bad then that's actually good because you care you know what i mean like if you had a like we have a lot of guys who and I kind of was the same way, you know, when I started, you know, whether it's a podcast or doing comedy, I would like take a shower and get all gelled up and like want to be all cool, like, because, you know, I'm still like trying to impress, right, or, or whatever. And, um, and then sometimes we'd have a lot of comics, not going to say any names or anything, who would then get mad at the audience. And I was like, 
I don't think it's their fault, even if they're not listening. Like it's our job to make one person laugh or make a hundred laugh or to deal with somebody heckling us or maybe they had a bad day with the wife, whatever, right? So um, for me always, I knew after a bad show that I, I mean, I was pissed off and I was either angry at myself or angry at the circumstance, but I knew that I cared still. So if you don't care and you're like looking at other reasons to blame, like the manager messed up or whatever, um, you know, you, you're just pointing the finger and maybe you're not, you're not in it for the right reason. My personal experience, I could be wrong. Uh, but I honestly think that, uh, you know, any, anything that's worth doing is going to be difficult, whether it's singing, podcasting, acting, writing starting a startup company, you know, whatever, making an app, like it all seems easy and glamorous. Stock trading, which I've been doing these days, like everything sounds exciting, but if it's not difficult and heartbreaking at times and frustrating, then it's probably not worth it, you know? So um, I've always felt that as long as uh, I kind of felt the pain and I didn't just disregard it, like there, there's also a time in comedy and anything where you get jaded. And you're just kind of over it and you're just kind of i know a lot of comics who they have a bad show but they just grab a beer and they just get on to the next one and in a way that's good it's perseverance but in another way they stop reflecting and they stop improving and that's not good either so for me personally as long as i feel that sting i know i'm still in the game and i usually kind of use that to feel myself going forward how do you how do you evaluate it though do you is there like a structure to it when you come home okay, you know, you, you get out a journal or something like that and you say, this is what I did well, this is what I didn't do well, these jokes worked. And how, what's the process of refinement for you? You know, there was a great, um, I hope, even on, on my podcast, I used to interview a lot of comics and uh, there was a guy, Dwayne Perkins, who uh, really funny, had been on Conan O'Brien like 15 times, like super, like super nice guy maybe like five times, but whatever. He's like a very established comic and he's such a, a good dude. And he told me that one of the best things as a comic you can do because stage time is very hard to come by, you know, public speaking, like co comedy, music, not necessarily music, but with comedy and public speaking, you need an audience. So the practice is the game. It is the performance. But he said a great thing that if you record it like on your cell phone, you know, just the audio, if you just record the audio on your cell phone and you listen to it on the way home, then that night you actually perform twice because what most comedians do is they perform on Monday. Okay, maybe they did, they got like a B plus performance or like a C plus performance, like three out of 10 jokes landed. The next day, now it could be a fluke because that audience could have been off, so the next day, they're going to redo the same jokes and maybe they get four out of 10 performance. Okay, maybe it was a little bit better, but it's still not exactly there. But if they were listening on the way home between Monday and Tuesday, they're probably going to look for areas they could have refined, they could have improved. In comedy, there's a tag, right? So like a tag is where you kind of let one joke, you add like another bullet point to that joke. So earlier I was telling you that like, like, oh, those white guys are, look like the ones who beat me up and now teach me CrossFit. And then I'd, I'd be like, what's the deal with CrossFit, right? CrossFit is blah, 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 blah. So you're kind of adding more branches to the tree of the joke. And um, that's what I do. So, I mean, to directly answer your question, people, most people don't do it. It's so sad because you have the universe in your pocket in this thing, but you literally record it, listen to it again, 
you know, even on my podcast, which I have, and I, maybe, I don't know if you do this, but my wife finds it hilarious. After I'm done with the podcast, then I edit it and I need to make sure that it rendered properly and that it played out and there was no bugs or glitches. So I'll be at the gym and I'll just be like letting the video on, on my private YouTube like play and I'll just watch it once. And my wife is like, yo, are you working out watching yourself? It's <laughs> like, how obsessed? What kind of guy did I? I was like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just giving it a sweep. I'm watching it like three X the speed just to make sure that it's all good, you know? So yeah, I, I, I review basically. You know what I do there? Uh, I do listen to my podcast as well. And I listen for that moment where I'm like, shit, I should have asked that question, right? Like that came in, he said that, or she said that, and that was a trigger, but I didn't go there. And then I realized, okay, you know, you need, you need to be more focused when you're doing this because you'll miss a whole potentially amazing train of thought, right? So that, that's what I do. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And when you, when you were coming up with jokes, right? Like let's, let's say your first pizzeria show, how did you come up with those 10 jokes? Is it, you know, whenever you're walking or doing anything, it just comes to you or do you have a structured process of writing down jokes? Well, when you're just starting out, you have to remember that nobody has any clue who you are or why you're there or like what all they have is what their eyes can see and what their ears can hear, right? Um, and maybe what they can smell or whatever, right? So um, like if you're like an overweight, you know, really fat comedian, you need to address that to the audience because they're thinking it. If you're really tall or really short or you're like flamboyant or you have something or you're Indian and you're not white and the whole room is white or you're black and the whole room is, or if you're white and the whole room is black, whatever, right? So, um, basically you have to write about things that the audience might think before even they even realize they're thinking it number one um, at least when you're first performing because um i was more concerned initially not about my artistic voice or the things i wanted to say i was more concerned if i'm honest about being accepted as a comedian you know so i wanted to make sure that i was getting laughter um, I never like stole jokes, but I don't think my stuff was like super original or inventive when I first started, right? Nor was it any good. Um, but you need to take from life and you need to think, okay, I'm going to go up there. I'm a brown guy. The whole room is going to be probably not brown. Um, you know, maybe I can make a joke about that just to kind of get an easy laugh. And then I want to talk about things that I'm interested in that I hope other people care to listen about, like working in an office or going on dates or you know, certain celebrities or watching movies. So um, as you start as a comedian, you know, a lot of people watch like late night talk shows and they're like, oh, Kim Kardashian has a big ass and freaking Priyanka Chopra, what's with her accent and yada yada. And the reason people do that is because everyone in the audience knows those references. So it's common ground. Um, so for me, when I started, everyone has to find their own way to do it. Um, some people talk only about other people, you know, some people never talk about people only about experiences and observations. Other people do like acting and mimicry. But, uh, when I started, I took a very basic observational comedian approach of I'm in my twenties, uh, you know, same thing. I got my, my hormones raging. I'm working. I want to make money. I assume the rest of the audience does as well. I'm Indian. I got a mom who's on my head all the time. So let's talk about these things and hope that somebody can relate to them.
And I, I noticed that's when the when you moved to India, that's the IT guy that kind of came to you. And that makes a lot of sense because everybody in the audience, there's probably going to be several engineers so they can relate to you. How did you, when you first came to India, and th this comes to, to finding your voice, how did you know that that was the place to go? Did you did you start there or over time you got to, okay, I'm going to make a lot of IT jokes because this resonates with the audience? Well, I didn't know, actually. So that was the scary part, right? Because if I'm honest, I wanted to make jokes even more hardcore about programming, like more like details in the language and the syntax and all that sort of stuff. But um, I had no idea. I just had a hunch, you know, and oftentimes your intuition and your gut feeling, uh, you got to go with it for better or worse, right? Um, because at the time, everyone was doing jokes about sexual stuff or just typical Indian stuff that, you know, usual Bollywood or like mummy papa, this, that, whatever. And it's a good one. So I call that low hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Like, um, and Definitely, if I was able to explore those topics more, I could have done a lot better in some bits of my comedy. But for me, I was like, this is what I do. Um, this is the only stuff I know. And the way I see it is you can try to get, like when you're talking about very niche, like let's say you work in HR or you work in marketing, like, you know, you can try to, if you do generic stuff, you, your goal is to try to reach a lot of people, but you're probably going to get like 10% or 1% of like your entire city's population. But I was thinking if I focus on a smaller group, I can probably get 100% of that 10%, which is, so if there is 1 billion people in India, there's no way with my accent and my English only mentality that I'm going to penetrate a lot of that. But if I focus on 100 million Indian engineers, I can probably penetrate that pretty well by talking their language. So um, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, God willing, God bless, like it worked out because we didn't even like, I mean, YouTube wasn't really that big in India at the time. Um, it wasn't what it is today. And yeah, I mean, the views came in and emails and freaking selfies at the airport and stuff. And literally on something I shot on like a freaking $50 camera, you know, so um, the very first one, at least, and then it, we kind of updated after that. Do you do you have now that you've been doing it for so long, and you have several viral videos on YouTube? Do you know why certain videos go viral? Is there any pattern with you, or is it just kind of random? You know, I've like shed a lot of blood, sweat, and tears trying to answer that question, and if I knew the answer um i would happily tell you or maybe i wouldn't and i'd like that's my edge and i'm never gonna give it away i have no clue um but i don't know to be honest there is i know there are certain factors that do well uh you know you obviously have to you know here's the funny thing i was uh you know my wife is studying for her u.s medical exams and i was looking and there's a bunch of doctors giving you know they're basically giving lectures and like vlogs about how they took their test, how they scored, and their videos are viral. You know what I mean? Like they have a million views talking about how to study for your doctor exam, right? And the reason they have that is every day students are graduating from college and Googling how to study for that test, right? So it's not like it's some inventive, funny, hilarious video, but it's informative, 
just like something informative that you would watch on TV or an educational program, right? So if you're talking about just virality from numbers, um, there's a lot of things you can do. You can hang on to another topic, biology, medicine, celebrity, you know, uh, Bollywood, sports, there's a million things. But if you're trying to be your own kind of celebrity and make your own voice and your own content, that's a lot harder. Um, and no, there I have no idea. I know that like with my IT stuff, it was popular because it was talking about stuff that a lot of people related to, which is technology. But tomorrow, if I tried to make like a funny sketch about a guy bringing a girl home and the mom was like always interrupting them or like, you know, always chai, you want chai or like something like it might go viral. It might not. You know, uh, we did a video about a, a housemaid uh, on my YouTube channel where uh, this girl, my friend Tamuki is like the maid and she keeps like co not cock blocking, but she keeps like overstepping her role as the maid you know which is awesome because she's given it to like the husband like you're a freaking douchebag right um and that video went wildly successful on the first one with like six million views whatsapp forwards everything then the next one did like five hundred thousand, and then a, a year later it picks up four million and then the third one kind of did like three four hundred k so like i i don't know why certain things do more than others but i can tell you consistency hanging on to a popular topic. And then sometimes you just get very lucky. Something's very funny, you know? And I, I, I wanna know when you were first going viral, right after all that work and after all that time, what is that moment like? Like what, what does it feel like when you see videos go to a million views? So uh, have you seen the movie Soul by any chance? Have you watched it? I, I haven't. So it's, it's the latest. Have you seen Inside Out from Disney? Uh, dude, I'm not a big movie guy. Okay, fine, fine. So um, basically, uh, the very first time I did like, I think half a million views on that IT guy 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever, this was 2014 or whatever. So I think half a million views at that time probably was like 5 million views today. You know, like that's what it felt like because you were literally stopped at the airport um, by somebody for like a picture or whatever, right? So like, that felt like everything you, I mean, I was still living in my three bedroom apartment, you know, which even now sounds great. I don't know why I'm acting like I was struggling, um, but uh, it was, it was awesome, dude. You know, like people are coming up to you in bars and you feel cool and, and all that stuff. And you're getting, the phone is ringing for come to a show here and the tickets are selling and there's a line of 40, hundred people who want to take a photo. So it's, I'm not going to lie. It's a great feeling. Um, but like with anything, uh, you want more and you want more. And then, like I was telling you earlier, the, the next video made you 20,000 views, right? Um, and most creators have to push through that. You know, I tell people, um, you know, part of the reason, like, like when you reached out to me and then I kind of looked at a lot of the stuff you were doing, I was like, okay, this is, this guy's putting in the work because a lot of people message me, like, come on my podcast and, uh, I'm like, all right, all right, and they've never done one, right? They've never put one out. And and I know why they're asking, because then they're going to ask me to share it and they're going to get like an easy 4,000 hits to start. And then they're going to think like, it's all it's going to change their life, which it's not. People have no attention spans these days, but I tell them, you know, I'm not going to come on your first podcast. Well, come on your 20th. How about that? You know, because I want to know that they're putting in the effort uh, because most people don't realize it's a grind. So 
Um, it feels amazing when you do succeed, especially when you succeed early, then it's like everything you think it would be where you get the adulation and the attention. But anyone who's in it for the long haul will tell you, you spend way more time failing than succeeding. So usually by the time you finally get that, you're just so glad that at least the bills are getting paid. Like you don't really give a crap about anything else. You know, it's not like you don't appreciate it. You do. But you're kind of, at least in my experience, sometimes I get so worn out. Like my wife is like, dude, I think I got a million views. Like, aren't you excited? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll make some more money this month and all. But within six weeks, things will be back to normal, right? So like I always try to temper my expectations. You know, uh, and I know you read a lot, which I, I do want to get into later. But I, I think of it, and I read it in Rand Fishkin's book, Lost and Founder. It, you know, it, the marketing, it's, it's like a flywheel. And once you start moving it, it'll start moving by itself. How long did it take you till the flywheel started spinning where you didn't have to think like, oh, I'm going to get one view, two views, three views, four views. You could reasonably expect a decent amount of people at your shows or, you know, a decent amount of views. How long did that take? Uh, I wish I knew to be honest, because uh, I mean, if I had to give you an answer, I'd say probably three to five years, somewhere in between that. Um, but, you know, again, like when I was starting making videos, like here's the thing, right? The platforms are the reason most of us get people, right? Like to our gigs, because the platforms give us exposure, whether it's Spotify, GeoSavan, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, right? And if you remember four or five years ago, Facebook was showing every video on the newsfeed because they were trying to steal attention from YouTube, right? And then YouTube got smarter and now their algorithm shows you pretty much what you want to watch before you can even realize you want to watch it. Like I see way more videos on the right side from people I don't subscribe to. And I'm watching those videos. I'm like, why am I watching a video of like, 80 airplane crashes or like something when I subscribe to like your podcast and your podcast just came out like 10 minutes ago and it's not there because YouTube is like, we know we're going to get you hooked more on this stuff because you keep watching shit about airplanes. Right. So, um, whatever it is. So I think for me, like when I was first starting, I was very, you know, I, I, I always, I have no problem admitting this. I don't, even though I, I can public speak and I can talk to 3000 audience members or 300. I, I'm pretty low in confidence, like a lot of times. So um, even when I was selling three, four, 500 tickets, I would probably only book a place for like a hundred because I was insecure that maybe we're not going to sell or whatever. So I think I underestimated myself early on. And then later on uh, when like everybody was doing comedy, everybody was on YouTube. There was a lot more competition. Uh, then my flywheel was turning, um, but maybe it was turning a lot faster earlier or whatever the analogy is. So do you, do you still, and we, we don't have to go into this if, if you don't want to, do you sometimes still, before you go to shows, not feel absolutely confident with what's happening? Or do you feel you know, confident that when you go to a show, it, it'll turn out good? Yeah, I'm very, like, I guess in my personal dealings, like, you know, I'm not very confident. Uh, but like when it comes to the actual performance, I'm fine. So if I'm planning the show, uh, you know, I'm nervous that the tickets aren't going to be sold. Or if I'm talking to a friend about, you know, some of my ideas, I feel a bit hesitant. Or if I was saying, I want to make this video, like, what do you think? You know, like, in, will anybody watch it? Is it a good idea? 
I kind of take too much feedback, too many opinions, and I kind of don't stick with my gut a lot of times. Um, but when I actually get on the stage or when I'm actually ready to do something, I feel great about it, right? So that's the thing. It's, it's very weird, and I'm not sure if like a lot of people will, will understand it, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, in artistic circles, they say imposter syndrome or whatever else, or let's say, you know, you're a VP at Infosys or a big guy at Accenture or Google, you might be hot shit. You might have 50 people working under you. You might make one crore a year, but you know, deep down what your doubts and insecurities and your fears are, right? Like you may clam up if there's like a pretty girl next to you at freaking Big Bazaar or something. So like, I think we all have, uh, you know, some of our doubts and things, but, um, I still do get a little nervous though before performing. And that again is going back to, I know I care because I feel that little bit of tension. How do you deal with um, the, the low confidence outside sometimes when you get it? How, how do you deal with that um, in, in everyday life? Because I think the reason why I ask this, because it may be a niche like you talked about, but there's someone out there listening who probably has the same thing. When they get up, when they're playing a sport, they, when they're in the game, they're doing amazing. But right before, there may be some doubts. How do you deal with doubt, basically? I mean, everybody has their own way. Uh, what, you know, for me, what works is always changing. But you know, lately, I think in the last year or two, I try to just like take five breaths and count them. You know, one, two, three, four, five, and that takes me maybe a minute. Um, but otherwise, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't let myself get ahead of myself. So if I start like, you know, uh, panicking or I start getting very antsy, uh, I've gotten better at having emotional intelligence to catch myself going down that rabbit hole. Um, and maybe like, like if I'm in the back seat of a car, I'll put my phone like in the front seat or if I'm in the front seat, I put my phone in the back seat. Um, I try not to check social media, uh, before I'm doing anything important, you know? Um, I don't know. I like worst case. I don't really, I've never really had like a panic attack, you know, touch wood or anything, but uh, usually, you know, there was a, before he got in trouble, uh, Bill Cosby, the, you know, the famous comic who unfortunately had some uh, exploitations or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was hearing an interview with him and, you know, like he, he got a gig at a really big comedy club and it was his dream to perform there. And he was already performing at like 5,000 seaters, but that club of 300 people in Chicago never gave him an opportunity. And he finally was able to sell out two shows, even after already being a big time celebrity, but because he had built this club up in his mind as this big thing, uh, he went out to his first show and he just bombed because all the doubt from his childhood, from when he first started performing, really got into his head that he's not good enough. This is the club that denied him so many times before, even though he's a freaking superstar at that point. So the manager comes out to him and he's like, you know, and the manager is the same guy when he was 19 telling him he's trash, right? So the manager comes out to him and is like, yo, I don't know where Bill Cosby is, but you better go find him <laughs> because there's another 300 people waiting to watch and whatever that garbage was, has got to go. And he says he, go, he went out there and he just destroyed, you know, the second show. And he was supposed to do 90 minutes. He did three hours. And because you have to remember when you're feeling doubt or like, let's say you're a doctor, or, you know, and you're going to see a patient or you're finally in your first surgery or your first engineering or whatever. 
whatever your engineers do, I don't know, like whenever you do your first thing, like you deserve to be in that spot, right? There's a reason you've landed up there, whether you think so or not. So that kind of story, Cosby, you know, all personal stuff aside, always resonated with me to kind of get back in my shoes, if you will. Um, and sure, it may not go well, I may not do the best, but at least I'm present and I'm there rather than I'm just panicking and I want to get it over with. Dude, that's interesting for me because now that I think of it, is there potentially more pressure once you've na- made a little bit of a name for yourself? Because there's the expectation that they think you're funny because you get a lot of views. So you have this expectation of yourself where you have to land every single joke. And this is just all assumptions. Is Does that happen or is it just as you keep doing it, you just get more and more comfortable. So like, is it, am I nervous if like there's 200 or 500 people at a show that have come for me? Like that every line has got to be hilarious. Is that the question? It's, it's basically, I'm asking now that you've made a name for yourself, right. And, and people expect you to be funny. Does that add pressure when you go up on stage? Yeah. I mean, the pressure is, is, is there from the fact that you know there's a show to begin with, right? So like, mm. I mean, I, it's not like I'm getting nervous the second I get on stage because I know when I wake up that morning, I have a gig today and I know how many tickets have been sold and I know that, you know, I've got to deliver that thing. Um, so there's pressure in that sense to do a good job. But, you know, as as a comedian, like, you know, if, if I didn't, if I've sold 200 tickets and I've not proven to myself, people laugh when I talk. <laughs> then you know I'm probably in the wrong the wrong line like this is the funniest thing like people always come up to you like when you're a comedian like a lot of your like maybe your wife's male friends or like your friend's boyfriends you know they'll like come near you and they'll kind of like size you up or like they'll, they'll kind of be annoyed that like you're on the limelight and like they're there with their girlfriend and she's laughing at you you know what I mean it's like yo I'm warming her up for you bro you're gonna enjoy the evening you know like you're going to go home with her and you guys can think of me. <laughs> so like you enjoy, right? <laughs> I was like, so they kind of like, there's like that little bit of like arrogance. Um, but uh, I love it. Like, so a lot of those guys will cut and they're like, I'm an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, blah, 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 like whatever. And they'll be like, yo man, you're pretty funny. I'm like, yeah, no shit. I do this for a living, dude. Like, obviously I'm, I would hope I'm pretty funny. Like you thought you were going to come here and I was going to freaking sing lullabies to you or something. So and, and to be fair, I practice this shit and I do it all the time, but you know, like, yeah, I am funny. That's why I'm a comedian, dude, you know, like, and it's not easy, but I've worked on it. So, yeah. Um, and, and the reason why I, I love that. And the reason why I ask it is because I, I don't want to wrongly attribute this, but this was JJ Redick. He's a basketball player. Yeah. I and uh, three point shooter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he said that he doesn't listen to the media for good or bad because if someone says he's good at this one particular thing for example corner shots right now when he is going to do the corner shot he feels there's extra expectation because everybody thinks he's good so he always has to be perfect and that ruins his shot so that that kind of that always makes me think you know if you listen to the good it actually can be very negative at some point because you just hold yourself to that standard, which maybe you're not at. So I, that, that's where I went there. And I want to ask you about time management, because a lot of people who are looking to get into comedy or anything else as a side hustle, 
will have a job, right? And I listened to one of your podcasts, Birdie Num Num, everyone go check that out, uh, where you talked about, you know, it's bullshit if you say you don't have time. Everybody has time. Can you talk about that? How, how did you manage it at first with working a full-time job and comedy on the side? I mean, exactly like you said, right? Um, I knew that the only person I'm not living up to is myself. And you know when you've watched too much Netflix that evening or you know when you're at your job. You know, here's the greatest kind of fraud bullshit thing nobody talks about the majority of people that work at a big company aren't working every minute of every day let's be honest right bull and especially now with covid and zoom calls and people pretending to be busy yes people work and i'm sure a lot of people cool you're marketing at fedex or you're freaking director at tcs or junior programmer at freaking microsoft i'm sure you're busy but you're full of shit if you're telling me that you have time for a one hour lunch or like a one hour yoga or whatever. Like there's always time to do things that, that you find important. So um, for me, I knew I was letting myself down because in my head, I know how busy I am. And everybody else was like, wow, you're doing a day job and you're doing comedy and you're making videos and you're like having a social life or whatever. But I was like, I feel like I could do more, you know? Um, and here's another thing, uh, you know, now I'm not working anymore and, you know, I've taken a break from my podcast for the time being, but I'm getting back to it and I've been doing a bunch of other stuff, but I was more productive when I had a job. I feel, I think my comedic output, my passion, my side hustle was more productive when I had a job because every time I had time away from the job, I was looking to do that. Whereas now when you work from home, when you freelance, you have a schedule kind of, but like same thing. You want to chill, you want to go work out, you want to meet up with some friends, you wake up late, whatever the heck. So um, it was basically me just calling my own bluff. And, you know, I usually kind of like talk to myself, you know, I, um, this might be a tangent, but I was talking to somebody about this. Like my internal voice is always telling me like, what the hell, why'd you wake up late? Or like, you know, you could have done better on that video. Why did you edit it so quickly? You knew you could have taken another week on it. Um, but I realized like, if you talk to yourself, like imagine if I talk to you the way my brain talks to me, you'd call me an asshole, you know what I mean? So, and I apologize for the light cursing, you know, but um, like, if you, if somebody else talked to you the way you talk to you, freaking not be friends with that person. So, um, I just, once I realized that I was kind of wasting time and I did it in a non-harsh way, I got very productive. That is, that is so interesting. And I, dude, I can go off on, you know, people taking coffee breaks, like the amount of coffee breaks at corporates mm -hmm. are insane. It's like eight a day and yeah, everyone, and, 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 yeah. and those are break at 5 PM, dude, it's, yeah. it, it's insane how much people, you know, they're at the office for 12 hours but the actual work productivity time was probably four or three because they spent time in meetings. So anyways, that's another tangent, but yeah, I could go off on that forever. But I want to ask you, what did your day look like? Did you work on the comedy before you went to work or after or, in, and how did you manage to have a social life? What, what did your day look like? You know, it's so funny because I'm looking at the Mamba mentality book behind you. I was like, you know, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I got to the gym at 4.30 before freaking Jordan there, like whatever. But uh, I love Kobe, by the way. Like, I, I, I'm for, in, 
in a weird way, after he passed, I watched all his motivational videos and all that stuff. And I love that freaking that dance beautifully in the box that you want to dance in or whatever quote he said. It's right? amazing. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's, and the way those YouTube guys edit it with that freaking scenty music, I was like just freaking crying like a little girl, dude. <laughs> but other, every, like, I never watched him much as an athlete, but when I heard him off the court, I was like very impressed with a lot of the stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, my day is, uh, these days, it's gotten a lot more productive because I'm finally at a very balanced place where I wake up at like probably six in the morning, uh, maybe sometimes five in the morning. Uh, <clears throat> right now I'm doing a lot of stock trading stuff. So sometimes I get up at four in the morning. Um, I try to have my workout done, uh, before breakfast. I don't even eat breakfast. So, um, I have a cup of coffee. I'll go work out either running or do a bike, like a bike or a treadmill or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I'm in front of my desk at my home office at the moment. So if some emails come in, I do that for the last few months. I've only been like stock trading stuff, but when I was in India, um, you know, I was writing a book, I was editing podcasts, we had shows in the evening, uh, I would meet friends up for lunch twice a week, not more than twice, because then like you said, it would be like a two hour, like gossip session as opposed to being productive. Um, and yeah, probably by about 7pm, I check out. And one important thing that if anyone's listening, who's like a freelancer, you should know is, you also got to give your brain time to kind of operate in the background. So um, you know, as people who edit videos and do podcasts and things, you might just be trying to just do output, 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 edit, 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 but you need to remember how to be a person and you need to remember that your audience is watching Netflix. Your audience is going to restaurants and wasting two hours of their time having a beer with their boss that they don't like. So I try to, it sounds so counterproductive, but I, for me to be productive, I try to schedule free time, if that makes sense. So. Um, I, I don't know if it sounds really weird, but that, that's just how it works for me. And, you know, it's something I try to do. So long story short, I love getting up early and I love to try to fill my day the day before. And sometimes there's nothing to do it, if I'm honest. Um, and sometimes I kind of just wing it like, you know, I'll work out longer or whatever. But as long as I'm up early, uh, I usually know that I've got enough going on that day. Do you, do you have any um, habits as part of your day, I know, I know you like to read, you said working out that you have to do every day to make you feel like you've had a successful day. Yeah, I've got to work out no matter how like faffy or fluffy it is, even if I'm not feeling it, I got to spend at least 30 minutes saying that I did it. Um, that's a, I should shower every day, but my wife kind of gives me kind of crap for that. But it's COVID, you know, and like sometimes you just get into a rut, right? Um, I love reading. I read a lot of books and I, I read physical books. I don't, I don't like reading the e-reader because then I'll never finish them. But a physical book is like staring at me, like somebody printed me in China and brought me here to California. You're just gonna let me sit on your freaking desk. And I have a rule that I will never buy another book until the first book is finished. So like, I get so annoyed. Like if, dude, if like my mom's friend like gives me the Bible, I'm like, crap, now I got to read this thing. Like, <laughs> and my, the other books I want to read, Atomic Habits, Power of Habit, all those cool like books that everybody loves. Like, I can't touch them until the book I have on my table is finished, no matter how dry or how boring. So um, yeah, I, I read, I try to read at least one book a week. Um, I 
yeah, I watch a lot of you because the YouTube algorithm is so good, right? Like it's, if I'm on a self-help binge, I'll get the best videos ever on my freaking feed, right? If I'm on a binge about stock trading, like you get like a college education in like 10 minutes on YouTube, right? So um, I, I try to basically, I, I go off schedule a lot, but I try to go on these like productivity binge and chill sort of things, you know? And did you benefit at all from GameStop? <laughs> I know because I did not want to touch it. And I, because I knew, I was like, I know the second I touch it is the minute it's going to go down to it. <laughs> and sure enough, all my friends, all my freaking, you know, Daisy guys who work at Citibank or HSBC are like, hey, bro, GameStop, like whatever. You know, like, should, should I invest? I'm like, do not touch it. And as I'm telling them that, it's going up even higher and it's going up even higher. But I was like, look, dude, I, the, the minute you ask me whether or not it's going to go up, here's what's going to happen. Even if you do get lucky and it keeps going up, you're going to keep holding it until it's going to crash because you're going to think you're in on something. And most people do not put a stop loss. They don't buy it and make their money and then keep like an exit cushion. They're just careless. I've been there, you know, Tesla, whatever, all that stuff. So um, I didn't benefit, but I was watching it every second. I was like so engaged in it. If anybody, if any of the listeners don't know what we're talking about, just check out GameStop on and check out their stock price over the last two weeks and how it's gone crazy. It's it's incredible. Go, go it's ahead. Like, people, is like Blockbuster Video going to be the next billion dollar business? Is freaking <laughs> Domino's Pizza now going to be a freaking aggregator of order data or something? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's funny. Domino's is worth way more than GameStop. I think they make way more money. Um, but it's just, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet, right? Like there's so much, uh, that can be done. I, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I want, I want to ask you on books, uh, do you have any books that have particularly made a huge impact on your life? It can be in, in comedy or it can be documentaries in comedy, whatever you, you'd like, uh, any books that have, have really changed you? Uh, there's a, a really good book uh, that I was just reading about negotiating um, by this guy called Chris Voss. Uh, I forgot what the name of the book was. Let me just check it out real quick. Hold on. Uh, Never Split the Difference. That was the book. Um, fantastic. I think anybody uh, should read that book. And then there's my favorite book that I read twice that I'm staring at right now by this guy called Maxwell Maltz, which is called Psycho-Cybernetics. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, but that's basically like the self-help book that defined a lot of self-help books like for generations or for many years on. Um, and that's kind of where I got the thing about like if you talk to yourself the way somebody else would talk to yourself, you know, or a lot of times you know, we're taught in a lot of these self-help and things on YouTube that like, you know, uh, Michael Jordan fell down nine times, but he got up 10 times and like, you know, every failure you learn from. But, you know, if, if you're not getting positive reinforcement, you're just digging yourself a deeper hole. Like what this guy says in the thing is like, sure, Michael Jordan fell down nine times, but in between he was hitting game winners to get his confidence back up. And you don't always hear that, right? Um, in between, he was dating 10 cheerleaders or something, right? Like at one time, you know, or like whatever it is. So, um, 
you know, nothing, nothing teaches like failure, but nothing succeeds like success, right? So um, I love this book. There was a, I was, and the only reason I found it is there was some like other like Facebook advertising guru dude on YouTube called Sam something who had talked about it. And I was like, why is this guy seems like, seems like a scam story. I don't think he is, but like, like, what is this book? I'm just curious. And I read it and I was immediately just like taken aback by, you know, how it hit me on a lot of the stuff that, uh, that he was teaching. And again, it's about like some bit of meditation, some bit of how you think, but just basically, um, you know, are you, you know, confidence and that sort of stuff, but, but nothing like I've been reading from any of the other books. And so it really struck a chord. I think anybody, it's hard to explain, but anybody, if you have easy access to like a pirated e-copy or whatever, you should check it out. So th that was Psycho Cybernetics, is that correct? Psycho Cybernetics by Dr. Ma Maxwell Maltz. Oh, yes, this is what he talks about. So he's a plastic surgeon, or he was a plastic surgeon, right? And mm -hmm. so he talks about things like it's weird, like he'll literally take a girl and give her like breast implants, or he'll take a girl who was bullied in high school, or a guy who was bullied in high school, and like fix his nose or fix his chin or take away 20 pounds you know, whatever plastic surgeons do. And then he would show them a mirror and look how good you look and they wouldn't see a difference. They would not, and they would still feel like an ugly duckling and they would still feel like I'm so fat, even though all their friends and family are like, dude, you have a six pack or like whatever. So he was saying like a lot of those, just like you have like, it, it was just fascinating. He talks about a lot of stories about the human psyche and how the ego and your mentality is that even if people, when they're getting physical transformations, aren't seeing it, you can only imagine internally what kind of wiring is going on when like their mom didn't love them and now they're rude to their girlfriend or like whatever it is, right? So it's a lot of stuff about confidence and self-improvement, but it's, it's done in a way that's like very, I, I thought, innovative. And I, I, we're going to come to the conclusion now, but I, I have one question there on, on um, plastic surgery. And if he got into this, you know, people who get plastic surgeries like celebrities, they do tons of it. Like if you look at the person 10 years ago versus today, it's completely different. And it's like you said, they are not seeing a difference and it's, it's the mentality. Do you think that's because they didn't work for that change or why do you think that is? I don't know if it's in, even in that book, I don't think he mentioned that it has anything to do with that. I think it's a lot of uh, self-perception and how you see yourself, right? So even like UFC fighters or people who do work for the change, right? Even people who are at the gym, you know, the guy is insanely buff or he's like a celebrity bodybuilder, but he still feels like that guy who got beat up by his younger brother when he was 10, right? or the CEO is talking to like 5,000 employees at Accenture and is worth like a billion dollars, but he still feels like he was not good enough at MIT or whatever the hell, right? So um, I don't think it has, I wouldn't know, maybe some celebrities uh, have that insecurity that, you know, nepotism, nepotism or like whatever the heck uh, that, you know, my wife does a much better impression of all these Ananya Pandes and all that stuff, but, um, I, it could be some of that, but it, a lot of it is how you see yourself. You know what I mean? Like, why is it that for some people, even people who may not be as good looking or as tall or as in shape, they can get a girlfriend so easily, yet the guy who is like trying super hard, is good looking, is working on himself, just can't crack it, you know? 
because there's some kind of you know invisible confidence that I think comes from your self-image. And if you see yourself in a positive light, most people will see yourself in a positive light as well. But I don't think we realize that. So um, I don't know if it has to do with, with the fact that they didn't earn it, but it definitely has to do with how they see themselves. Got it. And I, I want to go into a few quick fire questions, man, before we wrap up. Uh, the first one is your podcast name is Birdie Num Num. W- what does that mean? There's a movie from the 1960s called The Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Peter Sellers, who was the first Pink Panther in the UK, or one of the Pink Panthers in the UK, British actor, white guy. And in this movie, he plays an Indian guy with brown face, straight up brown face he's got on. And he plays an Indian guy in Hollywood who's trying to make it as an actor. And there's a funny scene from the movie, if you just Google Birdie Num Num the Party, where he's basically just saying it. And it's like, it's a very niche catchphrase. Anyone who's a fan of movies, like classic movies may know that, but a lot of Daisies in America love that movie because it was the first time a white guy played an Indian guy, didn't do like an up, hello, I am Apu. He didn't do that. He did like a neutral he like studied, he studied like Indian doctors in America as like in the sixties and he kind of did like a balanced accent, but he, it was just so funny. So, um, that was like my favorite movie as a kid. My dad would play it like on like old pirated VHS tapes. And so I, that's where I took it from. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I, I hadn't heard of that. And I, how, my other question is how often do you use social media? I used to use it quite a bit. I still log on from time to time, but right now, because um, I don't really know, like this break that I've been on, it kind of came out of nowhere because my wife is studying for her exams every day. I've been doing other things now that I've been here, like trying to find writing jobs and trying to do uh, finance and stock stuff or whatever. I've just like kind of got burnt out from it for the time being. Um, I probably log on. I used to be on it like four hours a day, if I'm honest. My Instagram on my phone would say four hours a day. Um, but now probably maybe 30 minutes a day tops. Wow. And the last thing is if you had one piece of advice, it doesn't have to be one. If you had advice for somebody who's looking to change their career path, it doesn't necessarily have to be comedy. What, what would you tell that person? You live at the best time ever where everything is on your keyboard, you know, it's in the palm of your hand. So there's really no excuse. Anything you want to learn, write a book, make a podcast, be a doctor, freaking learn how to be an actor, make a website, start an app. Like these are freaking 20 hours of YouTube YouTube tutorials away from your dreams, right? So um, you literally have no excuse and you should be fortunate that there's like, you know, there's information and you can get anything done uh, the palm of your hand. So if you put in the work, uh, you know, you'll be quite happy. Awesome, man. And the last thing is, where can people find you if they want to watch more of your comedy and your podcasts and all of that good stuff? You, uh, you, if you just search my name, Sanjay Manikala, most of my socials come up, but youtube.com slash Sanjay Comedy or Instagram at Sanjay Comedy. I'm probably most active on there or Twitter at S-M-A-N-A-K. Awesome. And all the links will be in the description box below. I highly recommend you guys go check it out. It's hilarious stuff. Sanjay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, bro. I appreciate it. Awesome. And thank you everybody for listening. See you guys in the next one.